Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Wednesday, March 1st college basketball DFS slate on DraftKings and FanDuel. It is officially March, y'all. It is that time of year again. We are 11 days away from Selection Sunday. College basketball season is wrapping up, and college basketball DFS season is ramping up. So, going to have a lot of content coming your way later this week, next week, and then a heck of a lot of content on NCAA Tournament Week here on the podcast with college basketball. A lot of it's going to be DFS, but we're also going to have some shows breaking down the bracket once the NCAA tournament has been revealed. So if you want to get notified when a new episode drops, make sure you hit that subscribe button. It'll really help me out a lot. Also, if you hit the rate and review buttons, I'm trying to become be the biggest college basketball DFS podcast in the world, and I can only get that if I get a little bit of help from you listeners out there. Now, lastly, if you are interested in playing any other sports DFS, check out the golf episode yesterday. We previewed this week's Arnold Palmer Invitational. That episode is still good until Thursday morning when the tournament starts. Um, But if you're interested in golf DFS, I highly suggest you give it a try. Um, And that episode is available on the podcast feed. All right, so here on this episode, we're going to break down the games we want to target, then we're going to take a deep dive at the guard position, and then the forward position as well, highlighting some guys that we want in or out of our lineups for this Wednesday night slate. So without further ado, let's go ahead and start breaking down the slate, but first a quick word from our friends at Anchor. In terms of the game environments that are available on this slate, it's not that bad. It's 11-game slate on DraftKings, 6-game slate on FanDuel, so they are fairly decently sized slates. And there's a lot of good games to look at, y'all. The highest total on both DraftKings and FanDuel of all the games that are on the slates is Xavier at Providence. The total in that one is 153.5. Ken Palm has this one as Providence 81-79, to which um a little bit higher than 153 on that one. The previous matchup was 85-83 to Xavier. Okay, so I get why Ken Palm was estimating 160 points. Now, for Xavier, that it is worth noting that this game against Providence the first time was their first game playing without Zach Fremantle. So that game kind of set in motion a lot of the usage trends and a lot of kind of the style that Xavier's been playing without one of their big men. Now, another game worth targeting is Auburn at Alabama. The total in this one is 152. Ken Palm has it as Alabama 79 to 69. The previous matchup was 77 to 69 in favor of Alabama. And I am no legal expert. I am no like sports hot take guy either. But I will say this about Alabama. They are kind of becoming the villains of this college basketball season. And I don't see all this extra media attention that they're getting because of this terrible situation being a good thing for them in the long run. Like, look, this situation is an absolute tragedy, right? Um, and, you know, somebody lost a life. And that needs to be remembered when people are talking about this situation. But to me... They keep making it worse on themselves by how they keep handling it, right? Like Nate Oates has had a lot of press conferences where he just didn't say the right thing. And all he needs to say is, we're cooperating with law enforcement. Brandon's cooperating with law enforcement. He's not a suspect. Done. And then if you're Brandon Miller, dude, figure out a different pregame introduction. Like, does he not realize that that's going to bring so much negative attention onto him and to that Alabama program? Like, this situation is terrible. It's awful. And Alabama can really help themselves by going about it the right way, as opposed to kind of continuing to do things that just make them look worse and worse. And I think that this media attention that they're getting is not going to be a good thing for that basketball program. I don't see a way where 
a team that's surrounded by this much controversy right now is going to succeed in the long run. And see, so, you know, maybe this game, maybe they trip up, maybe it's in the NCAA tournament they trip up, but they have to start handling this situation better if they want this basketball season to end the way they want it to. All right, and I'm just going to leave it at that when it comes to Alabama. Now, another thing to monitor for this slate is that we have three teams that are all implied 75 points. Missouri, Kentucky, and TCU. That is worth noting because 75 is a number where you get to that number you're going to be looking pretty good from a fantasy perspective. All right, so now let's go ahead and start breaking down the guard position. So Jalen Pickett is the top of the board. You know, Jalen Pickett from Penn State. He has an outstanding usage rate, and he is outstanding at picking up peripheral stats. So generally speaking, his stat lines are always going to look pretty good. But I don't know if this is the matchup for him. Northwestern is 24th in defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. This is also not a good tempo matchup at all. Besides the fact that Penn State is 316th in the nation in tempo, Northwestern is 299th. So this is not going to be a super fast-paced game. The game total is at 134, and it's that high, I guess, you know, using high as a relative word here, because of the two teams' offensive ability, not because of any kind of fast tempo that they play at. Now, that total of 134 is important because when you look at Pickett's game log, he only has 140 fantasy point performance when the game total ended up below 140. And quite frankly, I don't see this game getting to 140, so I don't see Jalen Pickett getting to 40 fantasy points. He's a great player. I've played him a lot this season. This is probably a pass on him here for this Wednesday night slate. Bryce Hopkins of Providence is a guy we talked about a lot because he gets dual eligibility, gives your lineup a whole lot of versatility. And I am not concerned about the last two games, if anything. I think it might be a good thing because it's going to lower ownership. Both the last two games for Bryce Hopkins, they didn't go well for him, but they were absolute blowouts. He really wasn't needed to do a whole lot. I think this game against Xavier will be one where these two teams will push each other. It's going to be a close game. It's going to be a high-scoring game. Xavier pushes the tempo a lot. And Bryce Hopkins had 39.3 fantasy points the last time they played against Xavier. So I think that this is a much better spot for Bryce Hopkins, and I'm hoping that the recent dud games are going to lower the ownership on him. Marquise Noel of Kansas State only had 34.5 fantasy points last time against Oklahoma, but I actually think that on paper, this kind of sets up as a good matchup for him. He averages 2.6 steals per game, which is quite a lot. And according to Ken Palm, Oklahoma is 306th in the nation in turnover percentage. So Oklahoma gives up a lot of steals and Marquise Noel gets a lot of steals. So on paper, that should be a way where he kind of gets a little bit of boost in fantasy points because steals, as you all know, can very quickly turn into points or assists. So I don't know. I kind of think that this should be a better matchup than it is, and I kind of would prefer the upside of Noel maybe to Jalen Pickett in this situation. Now, Kobe Brown, the Missouri, is another dual eligibility guy, and he kind of burned us on Saturday. He was a guy that I had in a lot of my lineups because there were just so many ways you could deploy him against Georgia, and he kind of didn't do all that great but when he did do great is the last time the LSU and Missouri played it was an 87 to 77 Missouri win so you had a huge point total and in that game Kobe Brown had 51 fantasy points which is his best fantasy performance of the season granted that represents his absolute ceiling I don't think he's going to get to 51 again but if he can get to 51 just 80% of that would be 41 so I actually think that he has a good chance of getting to value here on this Wednesday night slate 
Jameer Young of Maryland had 44 fantasy points the last time that Ohio State and Maryland played each other. And I actually think that Ohio State is a better matchup now than they were then. Ohio State is playing without their center, Zed Key, and they kind of push the tempo a little bit more without Zed Key in the lineup. So maybe that generates a few more possessions for Maryland. Jameer Young has a super high usage rate, so more possessions for Maryland means more opportunities for Jameer Young to get your fantasy points. And I think he is particularly affordable on FanDuel as opposed to DraftKings. Jordan Hawkins of UConn is a great cash game play, in my opinion. He has three straight 30 fantasy point games. He has three straight games with 13 or more shots. UConn is playing against DePaul. That is not a good defensive team. And he showed it when he had 36 fantasy points the first time these teams met. So Jordan Hawkins, elite level cash game play. Now in the 7K range, Pitt has two guys that intrigue me at the guard spot. One of them's in the 7K range is Jamarius Burton. One of them's in the 6K range is Nellie Cummings. Both of them had ceiling games in Pitt's 99-82 win over Syracuse on Saturday. And both of them absolutely went off. I had Burton in one of my lineups that went really well. Um, and really, when you look at it, they scored 99 points. And not only did they score 99 points, but they assisted on a lot of those buckets, which is something that happens with that 2-3 zone that Syracuse runs. These two players, Burton and Cummings, combined for 22 assists in that game. So while I don't think it's reasonable to expect the same level of production against Syracuse, there's kind of some trends with Notre Dame that suggests that this could be another spot where maybe they could get to their ceiling again. Notre Dame is 210th in the nation in assist percentage, and Pitt is projected 75 points in this game, according to Ken Palm. So while it might not be, you know, in the 300s for the assist percentage, the assist percentage, holy crap, that was hard to say, and it might not be a 99-point output for Pitt, you know, there's still some breadcrumbs here that lead me to believe that Burton and Cummings could get to their fantasy point totals that they got to on Saturday. Now, everything that we talked about with Kobe Brown that applied to the matchup versus LSU also applies to Demoy Hodge. And if you played Demoy Hodge on Saturday against Georgia, you were probably left a lot more happy than you were if you played Kobe Brown. I know because I had a few lineups with Hodge in them. However, Hodge is a lot more erratic than Kobe Brown. His usage is erratic. His game log with his fantasy performances are erratic. Last time against LSU, had 18.5 fantasy points. So I think he's a natural pivot off of Kobe Brown if you think that Kobe Brown is going to be high-owned. Or maybe you want to kind of hedge your bet on Kobe Brown and make a lineup with Brown and make a lineup with Hodge, knowing that somebody's going to score fantasy points against LSU. I don't necessarily think they're great stacking partners, but I do think that if Kobe Brown doesn't go off, Demoy Hodge probably will because this LSU defense isn't stopping Missouri. Now, at the bottom of the 7K range, Grant Sherfield of Oklahoma is worth mentioning. We've mentioned him a lot here in this podcast before. When Oklahoma gets sped up, Grant Sherfield gets his production up. And he had a huge game against Kansas State the last time these two teams met with 43.5 fantasy points. Now, in the 6K range, the Notre Dame guys interest me. Because we know that J.J. Starling is going to miss this game. And Marcus Hammond could also miss this game as well. That's a lot of minutes, a lot of usage to go around. And against Wake Forest, they played a full game without those two guys. Cormac Ryan had 30 fantasy points. He kind of did a lot in that game. Super high usage rate. Dane Goodwin only had 17 fantasy points, but he played all 40 minutes. And so if you play all 40 minutes and you got a decent matchup against Pitt, who is not a top 100 defensive team, according to Ken Palm, um, this could probably be a pretty good spot for these Notre Dame guys, Cormac Ryan and Dane Goodwin. There's another Notre Dame guy that I'm going to mention later that is not in the 6K range, so stay tuned for that one. 
Now, staying in the 6K range for one more guy, Jared Bynum of Providence has been very consistent since returning from injury. He's played eight, game, get eight games since coming back, and he's hit four times value in six of those eight games. I'll take that rate any day of the week. This is a tempo up spot against Xavier, and he had 28 fantasy points the first time these two teams met. Absolute smash spot for Jared Bynum in all formats, in my opinion. Now, in the 5K range, there's not a whole lot going on. I kind of think that in both the guard and the forward spots on this slate, the 5K range kind of got pillaged. Guys either got bumped up into the 6Ks or bumped down in the 4Ks, there's, and there's not a whole lot left in the 5Ks. Now, if you're looking to get a guy in the 5K range, like if you absolutely have to, Greg Elliott has some upside. Um, Noah Locke of Providence has some upside as well. But the guy I want to talk about is Bruce Thornton of Ohio State. He's hit five times value in back-to-back -back games. He's hit at least 34 minutes in back-to-back -back games. He's hit at least 20% usage and 11 shots in those two games. Now, I've talked about this Ohio State point guard spot all year long. I think that there's a lot of fantasy value to be had here with a team that pushes the tempo quite a bit and has a lot of talent on it, quite frankly. And Thornton seems to have finally taken it over. And we can play him with confidence that he's going to see big-time minutes, he's going to see big-time usage, and he's going to score big-time fantasy points. I think Bruce Thornton is probably the best play in the 5K range, and I feel comfortable saying that because of what he's done recently with that point guard position kind of being handed to him. Now, the 4K range has a lot of guys that I play all the time, for better or for worse. We're seeing a little bit of a Tyrese Hunter revival here recently for Texas. He has back-to-back -back games of at least 22 fantasy points, which is starting to kind of get to the level of production he had at Iowa State. In those two games, he has a 20, he has 22 combined shots, which is pretty solid. And he's only shooting 45% in those games, which is not like a great number, but it's also not terrible like that's a rate that continue right like that's sustainable 45 percent for Tyrese Hunter would be a sustainable rate of shooting and in these two games he only has a 19 percent usage rate he's just been more efficient with his shots he hasn't turned the ball over as much and he's put up more peripheral stats he's been more involved in the game so with this Tyrese Hunter kind of revival here we've also seen less Serge Jabari Rice for Texas so maybe as the season is continuing it's worth you know kind of monitoring that is Tyrese Hunter going to be taking away minutes from Serge by Rice or vice versa. Now, continuing in the 4K range, Cameron Winter of Penn State. Quite frankly, he's a misprice on DraftKings. He's actually more expensive on FanDuel than DraftKings by quite a bit. He has three straight games over 27 fantasy points, and he's attempted at least eight shots in all of those games. Now, Northwestern is not the best matchup in the world, but a guy that's down here at this price tag that's getting that level of production, I'll take it any day of the week. Trey Wirtz of Notre Dame had 28 fantasy points filling in for J.J. Starling and Marcus Hammond against Wake Forest, and Notre Dame only scored 58 points in this game. He's the Notre Dame guy I was mentioning earlier, y'all. He played really well, I thought, at least in terms of his production numbers. He wasn't the most efficient ever, but the production was pretty solid. And if Hammond and Starling miss again, I'm probably going to go right back to him because I think this price point is just too good to pass up. For Oklahoma, Milos Uzan is averaging 21 fantasy points in the last three games where Bijan Cortez was out. If Cortez continues to be out, this could be another spot to go back to Uzan. For Auburn, KD Johnson had a huge game against Alabama the last time these two teams played. He had 29 fantasy points in that game, and he is a big game player. 
He's got a lot of J.R. Smith energy to me. Just this guy that, you know, has no fear taking any shot or taking anybody one-on-one and, you know, just irrational confidence guy, right? And he plays well in big games. Well, this is a big game with Alabama coming to town. Uh, well, actually, I misspoke with our Auburn going to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. So I could see Katie Johnson having another big-time performance again. Heading down to the 3K range, there are a few guys worth mentioning. Trey Gamillion of Missouri is averaging 22 fantasy points in his last two games. Quite frankly, the fact that he's down here this low again is a misprice. Jaywin Terry from DePaul is back healthy, and this was not his price when he was healthy. So maybe he starts that bounce back a little bit. He starts to find his way back into the same rotation that he was at. And then Joey Calcaterra of UConn. Yeah, uh, Hassan Diara missed the last game for UConn, and Calcaterra received those minutes, received a little bit of that production, and Calcaterra had 18 fantasy points in 17 minutes in that last UConn game. I think he could definitely do the same here against DePaul. All right, that does it for the guard position, so let's take a quick breather, and then let's break down the big fellas. All right, looking at the forward position on this slate, a lot of the high-priced forwards are actually playing against each other, which is kind of interesting because, you know, it kind of begs the question in terms of lineup construction. Do you play them against each other? Is there a way that two of these guys could be correlated? Is there a way that they could be anti-correlated and you might want to play one and intentionally fade the other? So let's go ahead and break that down. So the first pairing is Oscar Sheboy and Liam Robbins, Kentucky and Vanderbilt going head to head. Now in their first matchup, Oscar Sheboy had 37 fantasy points against Vanderbilt. Worth noting, Liam Robbins did not play in that game. Vanderbilt is a much better team and a much better defense with Liam Robbins on the floor. And speaking of Liam Robbins, he is seeing an absolutely incredible usage rate lately, and he has 38 or more fantasy points in his last five games. That gives you a super solid floor. And I actually think that he has a lot of upside in this game as well. Robbins is a guy that can pick up a lot of blocks. He had nine in a game last week. And against a Kentucky team that, quite frankly, can struggle to shoot the ball from the outside and kind of depends on getting to the bucket or Oscar Sheboy putting it back at the bucket, I kind of think there's a lot of opportunities for Robbins to pick up some blocks in this one. And so high usage rate, high floor, block upside. I think this is a much better spot for Liam Robbins than it is for Oscar Sheboy. I do not think that this was a smash spot for Sheboy. Sheboy depends on offensive rebounds to um, hit his ceiling. And, you know, you look back to the Georgia game where he did that. Um, and I just don't see that happening here against Vanderbilt and against Liam Robbins. Now, another head-to-head matchup, Brandon Miller and Janai Broom. Even though Miller plays more of the four and Janai Broom plays the five for Auburn, I'll still consider it a head-to-head. Neither did particularly well fantasy-wise in the last Auburn and Alabama matchup. Brandon Miller had 25.5 fantasy points, and Janai Broom was in foul trouble in that game and had 26.3 fantasy points. I do remember watching this game, and I can't remember exactly why Brandon Miller didn't have a whole lot of success. But the one thing that I do remember just watching Alabama this season is that he kind of struggles when guarded by smaller guys. He kind of prefers to just, you know, blow by bigger normal power forwards as opposed to being guarded by, you know, a little guy that he can't get by. And so maybe that was what Auburn did. I can't exactly remember, but I definitely think that that's worth noting. And I definitely think that, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I probably won't play much of these two guys unless I'm going for a total game stack because that game environment is still pretty good. 
Now, Jack Nungy of Xavier lit up Providence for 53 fantasy points the last time that these two teams played. It, like I said, it was the first game without Zach Fremantle, and he has not topped that number since. So that represents an absolute ceiling game for Nungy. I don't know if he gets back to it, but I do think he's in a good spot here coming up against the Friars. Speaking of the Friars, Ed Croswell just had a ceiling game himself against Georgetown with 56.8 fantasy points, and he also had 40.8 fantasy points against Xavier the last time these two teams played. Now, with Croswell, the usage rate isn't spectacular, so I kind of would tend to believe that those two games were more flashes in the pan than you know a sign of things to come. So I'm probably going to let others chase those points, if I'm being totally honest. Now, another guy that we got to talk about. This guy will probably be in my lineup. I would say he's up there with Liam Robbins for my favorite high-priced forward plays of the night. It's K.J. Williams of LSU. He's got a great tempo matchup against Missouri. Missouri is not a great rebounding team, and K.J. Williams has flashed his ceiling this season with three 50 fantasy point performances. He also had 36 fantasy points last time against Missouri, which would be totally okay. That would be over four times value. So I definitely think this is a great spot for K.J. Williams taking on Missouri. Last guy in the AK range is Ryan Kalkbrenner of Creighton. In my opinion, he's more of a cash game play. He has been in the 20s or 30s in fantasy points in all of his last 11 games. That's kind of incredible. Now, against Georgetown, he did have 32 fantasy points when these two teams met the first time. And we just saw Ed Croswell of Providence, I just mentioned him, have a ceiling game against Georgetown as well. So maybe Georgetown's a pretty good matchup for big men, but I definitely think there's some serious blowout potential here. And I kind of think Kalkbrenner is just better as a high floor cash game play than anything else. Now, looking down to the 7K range, Blake Henson of Pitt has hit four times value in three of his last four games, and he has a great matchup. Biggs against Notre Dame has been something that we have targeted all season long, and so I see no reason to go away from it here Wednesday night. Now, for DePaul, Nick Ungenda is back in the lineup, and he is continuing to produce, and I'm going to continue to think that DraftKings hasn't priced him high enough. He had 46.5 fantasy points against Marquette. Now, granted, Marquette, pretty soft matchup for big men, if we're being honest. UConn is not. UConn's a much better interior defense with Adama Sanogo down there, and then you're going to be getting some Donovan Klingon minutes as well. But what I think is doing is sustainable, especially if he stays at this price tag. He has a massive 26% usage rate, which currently leads the team. I know it's a small sample size because he's only played four games, but still, he's the team leader in usage rate after only playing four games. So I really, in 26%, that's a number that you're not going to get out of any other guys in the 7K range. So I'm definitely willing to go back to Agenda until they price him out of a point where I'll finally pass. But I'm, I'm willing to go back to him here at this price tag. Now, in the 6K range, we mentioned Zed Key's injury for Ohio State earlier, and I could have mentioned Bryce Sensiball because he's kind of been a little bit of a beneficiary of some of that usage and some of those minutes, but the main beneficiary has been Justice Suing. He has 29.5 and 36.3 fantasy points in the last two games, and he's averaging 13 shots in those two games. So I expect that usage to continue against a Maryland team that is you know, pretty solid defensively, but not great. Also not terrible, um, but I will take the usage any day out of just assuming. And at that 6.3K price tag, I definitely think it's affordable. Tanner Groves of Oklahoma had 32 fancy points against Kansas State last time. We've played bigs against Kansas State all season. So this is yet another opportunity to go back to that well. Now looking down in the 5K range, honestly, it doesn't have a whole lot. 
It does have Donovan Klingon, you know, the massive seven-footer for UConn. He had 22.3 fantasy points in 19 minutes against DePaul in the first matchup these two teams played. I mentioned this when I talked about... Um, well, actually, never mind. That was a totally different game. Anyway, I definitely think there's some blowout potential here with UConn and DePaul. And so if it is a blowout, maybe we get an increased minute load for Klingon. He is super great in terms of per-minute production, but he's kind of like Boban Marjanovic. He does not play a whole lot of minutes because he's so big and lumbering and he doesn't have the endurance. And so I definitely think that there's an opportunity to play him, and maybe you get a big-time high upside game. Maybe you don't. Now, at the bottom of the 5K range is Texas's Dylan DeSue, who had a huge game on Saturday against Baylor with 36 fantasy points. Now, watching that game, it kind of seemed like it was Baylor's game plan to get the ball out of Marcus Carr's hands whenever possible and to force it to the bigs, Dylan DeSue, Christian Bishop, Dylan Mitchell, right? And DeSue was really the one that was out on the floor the most, and he was the one taking advantage of it the most. And so I don't know if that's going to be TCU's game plan, but here's what I do notice. When it comes to Texas's bigs, they're all kind of matchup dependent. They all kind of have their games where they're more effective or have the teams where they're more effective against, I guess would be a better way of saying that. And so Dylan DeSue, he had 20 fantasy points the first matchup against Baylor. He had 36 the second time. Well, he had 23 fantasy points in the first matchup against TCU. It is worth noting that Eddie Lampkin did play in that game and is questionable for this one. And I definitely think out of all the Texas big men, DeSue matches up the best with Eddie Lampkin. So if Lampkin plays, I think you're definitely going to see a lot of minutes and a lot of production out of DeSue. If he doesn't play, I think, you know, like I said, these bigs are matchup dependent. So you might see a little more Christian Bishop. You might see a little more um, Dylan Mitchell. But I definitely really like DeSue if we get that same game environment with Eddie Lampkin playing. Now in the 4K range, got to talk about Missouri's Muhammad Diara. He had 21 fantasy points against LSU the last time these two teams met, and that was in only 15 minutes. That's about 1.4 fantasy points per minute. Now, worth noting, he's a starter. He's playing more minutes now. He's getting more production now. So why would we not expect more fantasy points against a same good matchup in LSU? Then Allen Lubin of Notre Dame had a huge game against Wake Forest with 36.5 fantasy points. With Marcus Hammond and J.J. Starling out, they don't really play the same position as Lubin, but Mike Bray kind of just seemed content to stay with his guys and not really like open up the bench to a whole lot of other people. And so you saw a lot of the same guys play bigger minute lows in that game. And if that trend continues, I really like it for Van Allen Lubin. I also think that he has a chance to play a lot of minutes in this game because Notre Dame doesn't have a whole lot of size. And Pitt is going to play two bigs all night with Blake Henson at the four. So I definitely think that this is a good spot for Van Allen Lubin to see a lot of minutes again. And if he sees a lot of minutes again, he has a chance to have the same production that he had against Wake. Granted, Pitt's a little bit more of a stout defensive matchup, but there's a chance that he'd get back to that same production. Now, in the 3K range, there's a few dart throws that I'd be willing to make, like Tyrell Ward of LSU. He's shown some upside as of late. Bradley Ezawiro of Georgetown plays a lot in blowouts, and this could be one against Creighton. But the guy I'm most intrigued about is Vanderbilt's Colin Smith. He started their last game against Florida, played 30 minutes, and had 20.8 fantasy points, and they won that game by 16 points. So, 
Jerry Stackhouse has been really erratic with his rotations all season long, and it's been really hard to figure out just what's going to happen with all these Vanderbilt guys. Like the one certainty is Liam Robbins, if he's healthy, he's going to play a ton. He's going to see a huge usage rate, and he's going to score a lot of fantasy points. Everything else has pretty much been uncertain. But the one thing I will say, though, is Jerry Stackhouse will kind of stick with what works, right? Like if one guy had a good game, He's going to try them out the next game and try to get that same performance from him. And then when he does it, then he's going to try something new, right? So, you know, Colin Smith got the start against Florida, played well against Florida. So I would tend to think that he's going to start again and at least have the chance to play well again. Now, will he? I don't know. But I definitely think that when you're looking down at this range, give me a guy who has a chance at a big-time performance, you know? Um, and I definitely think with playing that minute load and having that performance against Florida, Colin Smith definitely gives you that chance. All right, that does it for the analysis of the forward position, and that does it for our analysis of the Wednesday, March 1st, college basketball DFS slate. So if you like what you heard, please rate and review the podcast. It helps me out a lot. And also, if you want to see how I took all this information and put it into a lineup, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. All right, so March is officially here, y'all. Let's start March off on a good note. Best of luck to everybody in all their DFS endeavors. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you all next time.